and welcome to uh, another episode of Trinity College Dublin Talks. With us today is John O'Donoghue. John O'Donoghue has a very interesting background. He is the Royal Society for Chemistry, Chemistry Education Coordinator for Ireland, and he's also the Outreach Module Coordinator for the School of Chemistry at Trinity College. Now, that, that sounds very complicated, and it probably, probably is a bit complicated, but really what John is trying to do is bring chemistry and explain chemistry to students both in university and in primary and secondary school. And he has a long uh, career in this area, not, not, not that long, he's actually very young, but, but uh, you know, this has been the focus of his, uh, I suppose, academic endeavours in many ways. And, and we're, we're going to talk about why should one study chemistry and, and why should one perhaps not study chemistry, if you're like me. But first of all, welcome, John. Thank you very much for the very kind introduction, and I think you've explained it very well. <laughs> That's very kind. Let's let's start at the beginning, okay? So your uh, your, your your name is a good Kerry name. There are lots of John O'Donoghue's I can think of. You're from a long line of illustrious John O'Donoghue's. So you 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 grew up in Kerry. Uh, whereabouts in Kerry? I'm from uh, Listowel in North Kerry, um, oh. famous for John B. Keane and all of the literary works, and of course. Uh, Brendan Kennelly as well um, from North Kerry, uh, one of our own in Trinity. So I do have a, an illustrious um, literary background, I suppose, to come from as well. And despite all that, uh, all, all, all those uh, literary giants, you chose to to do chemistry. Tell us, what was the evolution? Why, why, how, how did you become interested in chemistry? And, and yeah, what, what started it all? You know, a lot of people ask this and a lot of people, I suppose, ask people, scientists and chemists, how they got into it. And and I have the same answer as many other people, and it's usually a teacher. Um, so, you know, my chemistry teacher, well, my junior cycle science teacher at the time uh, was brilliant. And, you know, I, I thought he was, a, he was a very good teacher in his own right, um, both as a scientist and as an educator. And I actually took on chemistry at Leaving Cert because I had him for junior cycle science um, at the time. And that's actually the reason I got into it. Um, but it's interesting, you should say, about, you know, um, the literary side about oh, I, I chose chemistry coming from the stole. But actually, you know, English was actually my favorite subject in school. It wasn't actually chemistry. And I actually my best result at leaving set was also actually in English. And it's funny that I now, I suppose, combine that my mm. science and my English and literary side of it together to do, you know, chemistry communication. You know, so that's actually how I managed to join the two of them together. So you're you're somebody who's. Um temperamentally well placed to explain explain chemistry to, to non-chemists but did you did you notwithstanding doing well in English did you did you know it uh, I mean you must have put chemistry down somewhere on your uh, your CAO forms and, and and wanted to you went to UCC and you studied chemistry rather than English let's say why was that um you know I suppose I like I like the the, the practical aspect of it you know the thing about science subjects is that there's a, a large variety in it. It's not just about sitting in front of books or writing essays and things. I also quite liked history, but the idea of doing, you know, a single thing, it's I, I describe it a bit like food and taste. Uh, and if you're eating the same thing, say, you know, a huge bowl of mashed potato, it's the same texture and taste the whole way through it. Whereas I quite like having a mixture and I like having four or five different textures and flavors and things. And that's what I quite like about science uh, is the fact that you have a bit of practical stuff. You have a bit of theory. You have some calculations. You have some investigations and so on. And it's quite a varied, I suppose, learning. Do you think um, chemistry is particularly difficult as a subject? I mean, you, 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 
you know, it, it is obviously more difficult to make a, a, a meal with meat and vegetables that you're describing rather than just a bowl of mashed potatoes. Not that I would necessarily agree with your characterization of history as just being mashed potatoes. But is chemistry unusually difficult or is that just a perception that many people have? Um, it's a, yeah, it, it, it is a difficult subject. There's no point saying it isn't. Um, but it depends on your and what you define as difficult, I suppose. Some people find it very, very easy. Uh, it comes to them quite easily. But it does have um, a lot of similarities in maths in that regard, because, you know, people perceive maths as being a very difficult subject as well. And it tends to you tend to have a lot of people when you ask them, oh, what was my favorite subject in school or my least favorite subject in school? And most people say maths or chemistry tends to be very close by as well. There seems to be an, an idea that it's overly difficult, that it's impossible, that it can't be done or something, when obviously it can and not people study it and enjoy it. I think sometimes what really helps is knowing the real world aspect and real world applications of it and how it's used in everyday life, you know, from the batteries in your laptops to to whatever the case may be. And if you can see the real world applications of it, that can definitely help you understand uh, what the theory is behind it and and what it actually means as a subject. I wonder if that's difficult. It just occurs to me as you say that, that, that whereas I know biologists and I know physicists, I, I've never met a chemist, I think, you know, that, 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 that maybe a lot, a lot of people study it, but I'm not sure how many people uh, use it or perhaps they just don't describe themselves as chemists, but they are chemists. And it's very interesting you should say that because um, chemists tend to touch upon a lot of different areas and so what makes chemistry interesting to me anyways and, and I know to a lot of other people is its variety but it's also probably its biggest problem as well so you have everything from you know biochemists on one side who are working on biological you know solutions and you know vaccines obviously are that crossover between chemistry and say biology um, but also on the other end of it, you have physical chemists who are working on the physics and chemistry side of it. You also have geochemists using a geology um, and you have quite a huge there's astrochemists, for instance, who do um, you know, a lot of the analysis uh, in terms of rock samples from the moon, for instance. So it's quite a varied field, which is makes it really interesting. But also as a result, each person in their own individual side of it may describe themselves slightly differently. Um, and they may all be chemists, but they may be a very specific area of it. So they could be a biochemist. And depending on how much biology they do, they may end up becoming a biologist. So mm -hmm. it does tend to, I suppose, yeah, it gets very diluted sometimes. Yeah, I, I, actually, I'm just reading a book about the, the Spanish flu and the influence of the uh, after World War One. And, and one of the things that strikes me is that back then, a lot of uh, doctors and GPs and so on uh, basically had a little chemistry lab in their in their practice. You know, they were they were like the conventional idea of a chemist is, let's face it, somebody uh, pottering around with test tubes and, you know, wonderfully kind of different colored chemicals going in. A lot of doctors seem to have operated like that. That's obviously not the case today. I mean, you and the same with a pharmacist. If you went into a pharmacy 80 years ago, they would have made up the medicines. Now they just often seem to take a plastic bottle and give it to you and you kind of wonder why they spent such a long time understanding the chemistry behind medicines. Is it that, um, has chemistry become very difficult to do? You know, is it something you can no longer do at home or, or, or in a basic environment? Do you need a, a huge kind of clean lab to do it or, or am I completely wrong? So 
you're, you are right in many respects that chemistry is one of these subjects that you do need a lab and you need safety goggles, you need a coat and you need a, a fume hood and so on. And there is very specific equipment to do very specific chemistry. Um, but what I suppose COVID has actually given us an opportunity to see is, can you do chemistry at home, for instance, um, in terms of an education point of view, because that's that's my interest. And actually, over the past 12 months, I've come up with two or three experiments. And in fact, one of the modules I, I'm, I'm a coordinator with my colleagues, um, it's one of the elective modules in Trinity, actually, the chemistry of periodic elements. Um, and we had to redesign the module last summer because of COVID. Um, and we originally planned to bring these non-science students um, into the labs and show them the, the 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 back of college where they maybe no longer maybe don't normally see. And instead, we designed one of the experiments so that they could do it at home. And it had to be obviously entirely safe. It had to be you know something that you could do using basic equipment. And we managed to make it work. And they wrote up a report afterwards, just like they normally do. And they learned about two different elements. So we we actually had it in salt. It was table salt. Uh, and also the low sodium variety of table salt, which is actually potassium chloride, it's slightly different. And they had to do a few different tests on each one of them to find out which one was which. And it worked perfectly fine as an experiment and perfectly safe. So on some respects, yes. I mean, obviously, you know, modern research intensive chemistry uh, does require specialist equipment and does require a lab. But in terms of educational point of view, the core concepts, you can do a lot of it um, without the, the specialist equipment. That's very interesting. Just just for people who don't know what the electives are, there are, uh, I suppose, courses that people can do in Trinity alongside their, their, their major area of study that, that they're often completely unrelated. So you might have an archaeologist who, who opts to do the, the elective in, in, in chemistry. How, how, what was the uptake like as a matter of interest? How many how many kind of people said, I I, I'd like to do a bit of chemistry? I think the capacity of the course was around 100. So I think it was it was half full. It was about it was about 50 percent, give or take. And considering, you know, of all the uncertainties um, at the time and it, 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 it happened to launch in the first term as well. And um, considering all that, it was very good. And the students who did it were from a variety of backgrounds, from literature to history to, like you said, archaeology and so on. Um, and they all really got into it, you know, and you've even based on the lab reports, you know, looking at all their stuff, you know, they really made a, a huge effort. And the feedback we got was fantastic as well. They, they genuinely enjoyed the module. Um, and that was actually a really interesting challenge, that module, because, you know, for all of us involved in it, um, you know, Aidan and, and Carol and myself, um, we had to design something for students who may have no background at all in science. Um, and we had to do with chemistry, you know, one of the sciences that is a bit more abstract than maybe some of the other sciences. So it was fascinating to see how certain things landed and how certain things didn't quite land and how we would readjust it for next year. Um, but I think the electives are, you know, they're, they're a fascinating look at or an opportunity more so for students to do something slightly outside their, their program. So after doing a, a PhD in, in University College Cork and, and postdoc in Queens and Belfast, uh, you, you went on to, to work for the wonderful Centre of Talented Youth Ireland in DCU, Dublin City University, for five years. And that, that, that is, for people who don't know, it's, it's a, it's a programme to, I suppose, inspire primary school students who, who are bright. Um, and obviously you were focusing on, on, on chemistry. How, how did that work? And, and what, what, what did you do with the, with the kind of 10, 11, 12 year olds who you were trying to, trying to teach? Uh, so yeah, the the Centre of Talented Youth Ireland is um, it's a very interesting program. Uh, it a lot of uh, I suppose the work we see 
many times is helping students from disadvantaged backgrounds and things like that. But the CTYI is a mixture of everything. You have, you know, students from every sort of background, um, but also, you know, they're obviously very passionate about different topics they're doing. So each course is slightly different. So I was doing chemistry courses, for instance, and there was also robotics, there was uh, English literature, art and so on. And it's trying to stretch them a little bit further um, than maybe what they would get in school normally. And, you know, it always fascinated me whenever I start off the course. I remember the first time I did it, um, you know, I was explaining the atom, you know, I was explaining the neutrons and protons and the electrons. And actually, the one of the kids stopped me and said, yeah, we know all this, um, you know. So, you know, I, 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 I had to rearrange my my own thinking of, you know, where these kids were at, because these were these kids are way beyond even where I was at in school. Um, and it's really interesting to see almost how how much you can do with them. And normally what you do, you're kind of restrained in how much information you, you would give any student, never mind, you know, a nine, 10, 11 year old, um, because you want to let, let it set in for a week before you kind of move on to the next topic. But these kids, they just they're like sponges. They just absorb all this information. Um, and then they would, they would bring it back to you in various assessments and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fascinating, really, really interesting stuff, actually. Tell me, has, um, I'm thinking of my own rather unfortunate career studying chemistry at secondary level. Has chemistry changed a lot? You know, I I notice when I look at uh, my children's physics books at secondary level that that, physics has moved on. And, and, you know, as a civilian, you you notice that there are things like um, quantum physics that are are really having quite a big impact on our lives these days that, that just weren't discussed 25 years ago when I was doing physics. How is it with chemistry? It seems like the the laws of chemistry are more set and perhaps um, you know change less. When you talk about atomic structure, there, you know that that's a pretty basic thing that that really I know. Of course, we keep on finding smaller and smaller particles, but mm. it doesn't really affect one's understanding of chemistry, or does it? Uh, well, no. As with the chemist, we tend to work with the electrons. The electrons, the outer the outer, the outer part of the of the, mm. the atom, tends to be the chemist's realm. Um, the physicists tend to deal with the nucleus, you know, the neutrons and protons, and they try to smash them. And they, so that tends to be how we kind of split it up. Um, people could correct me here, but that's essentially what it is. Um, in terms of, I suppose, where chemistry has advanced over the last number of years, you know, things like uh, the, the biological chemistry side of things. So, you know, even the new um, the new coronavirus, COVID-19 vaccines, the mRNA ones, um, that is a huge leap forward uh, in terms of you know, making uh, a, a part of an RNA and using that as an actual vaccine, that whole technology is completely new. And that is a crossover between, I suppose, biology and chemistry as a new area. Um, but also, you know, things like from the physical chemistry side, so, you know, fuel cells, for instance, in cars, you know, that is very much chemistry. And that is, you know, trying to make the production of hydrogen, for instance, more efficient so that we can use them in hydrogen power cars. So there is advances and they're all small and stepwise advances. There may not be the the, the, the leaps and the bounds that you get sometimes in physics where, you know, you find out a small thing in physics and it changes a, a, maybe a whole area in terms of how we talk about it. But in chemistry, there, there are much smaller leaps, um, but they are still quite significant leaps. For instance, you know, um, the blue LED is is an example, like the idea of actually getting um, blue light LED was something that took quite a long time because the chemistry of actually making the material was really, really difficult to make. Uh, and lithium iron batteries, you know, were only invented in the 80s, I think. Uh, well, they were only commercialized in the 80s and the Nobel Prize was only won in 2019 
for that uh, with John Goodenough and and um, and others. So the actual it's it is improving. It's just maybe more stepwise. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Nobel Prize, isn't it? Because you, you, you can think of news reports uh, when they when they write about the physics, they can usually tell you what the what the change is, and there's kind of a bit of a discussion. Whereas it's you, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry is probably the uh, uh, less discussed in the media, probably because for the reason you've just outlined that the that the changes are more incremental and and more difficult for for people without a chemistry background to to understand. Is that is that perhaps? Yeah. They're, they're more nuanced, I think, you know, um, they, to be fair, the lithium ion one had, you know, I think took a long, long time for that to be recognized and probably should have been recognized much, much sooner. Mm. And, you know, but the lithium ion battery was a hugely forward in terms of battery technology. And it literally is now in our, all of our phones and laptops and everything. Um, that one probably should have been recognized much sooner. And it was probably an easy one to talk about, too, because we all again, I, yeah. you, we have a real world example of it. And I think that, again, is back to the problem of. Of, sorry, of chemistry is that abstract nature of it. And once you give a kind of a real world example of what it's used for, everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I, sure, I have lithium ion battery in my phone. Whereas something like, say, um, maybe other Nobel Prize winning ones, like back in the 90s, for instance, there was uh, the Buckmeister fullerene, which was a new form of carbon. You know, that was a very abstract thing and nobody could see well, what's the purpose of this? You know, what can this be used for? And so now we're starting to see things like nanotubes and nanostructures that are using some of this early stuff. Um, but it's much harder to describe and explain how that brought the, the field forward. It strikes me that, that chemistry has a bit of a perception problem and that it needs uh, talented communicators like you. And I'm, I'm thinking that that. Um, the word chemical is usually pejorative, isn't it? If you hear of a, a chemical spill in a river, you assume that nasty, poisonous things have gone into the river. But uh, in theory, at least, uh, um, water is a chemical and, and uh, not just in theory in practice. So it could be that uh, water just went into a river. That would be a chemical spill. Is that a is that a problem that, that when we hear the word chemical, we don't think of it being uh, uh, solutions to to issues like car pollution we think of it as being something that uh, poisons either individuals or society as a whole absolutely um and we normally call it chemophobia as kind of the, the the accepted word that we use for it and unfortunately it goes back to our your our, the history of the of chemistry and unfortunately and you have to admit this you know chemistry does not have the greatest history chemical warfare for instance you know um, and mustard gas you know during world war one and things you know you, you can't um pretend that didn't happen you know um it did and chemistry was used for for a lot of bad things and i think it comes a lot from that is this idea that that you can use chemicals for bad as well as good and i think to help get past that is the idea of showing the good side of it and what chemistry can be used and what it can be achieved. And I suppose, you know, if that makes chemists into these all powerful beings, then so be it. You know, we have the power to wield good and bad. And we just the vast majority of us choose to use it for good um, and not to sound like a superhero or anything. But um, <laughs> that that is kind of the way I see it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's you could argue, couldn't you, that the artillery used in World War One, the, the the big missiles and so on, were physics warfare. But no one no one talks about that. But they do talk about uh, chemistry. And they, 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 yeah, and they don't think about the cures that that chemistry brings in in, in medicine and elsewhere. Let's just um, uh, come up to the present in a way. So you you know you, you you've you've uh, talked to primary school students and secondary school students, but you you also 
organized here in Trinity a, a chemistry Olympiad. Um, how does that work? What, what, what happens there, John? So I think it's nice. I suppose it's a nice progression of some of the work I did back when I was with the Centre of Talented Youth in terms of working with uh, really gifted kids. Uh, the Chemistry Olympiad starts off usually uh, around January and it starts off with a first round exam. This year we had to do it all virtually, obviously. Normally we bring them into Trinity for the day. Um, last year was the first year we had it in Trinity. Uh, the previous years it was in DCU. So it's shared across uh, multiple organisations. Um, the committee itself is actually made up of uh, representatives from UCC, GMIT, Athlone, um, I'm not going to forget anyone now, DCU, Trinity, um, and we all then worked together to organise the exam and the assessment. And we had about, I think we had about 200 students uh, doing the first round exam this year. And that essentially kind of uh, narrows it down to a group of about 50 or so. Uh, and then they did a set, kind of a, a much more difficult exam. So the first one is is basically a leaving cert chemistry type exam just to filter out people. And then you start getting progressively more difficult as you work through the few months. So now at the moment, actually, we're down to um, the, the, the finalists, the, the winners essentially of the Irish National Chemistry Olympiad. And we will choose a team from that group then to represent Ireland at the International Clim uh, Chemistry Olympiad, which is annually run in June, uh, June or July, sorry. And it varies by country to country. And normally the students get to travel overseas. It's their kind of reward, I suppose, for getting to that point. But obviously last year and this year is virtual, uh, which is a disappointment, obviously. Um, but it, um, they get to still do all the exams and all that part is the same. It's just they're missing out on the the practical aspect, the actual experimental aspect. And they, they had to cut that out, out of the actual assessment, obviously. And it's a real pity because over the years, historically, the Irish students have done really well in that. And actually, you know, have won medals internationally, um, you know, based on their, their really good practical aspects and practical skills and using the lab stuff. So missing out on that is a bit of a pity because they're only getting to do the actual um, theoretical exam side of it. But it is hugely interesting because these these kids are so, so talented um, and they're phenomenally smart. You know, we've had them for the last two weeks now where we were talking to them about extra topics like are way beyond the Leaving Cert and A-levels. It's it's an all-island, so it's north and south. And we were talking about topics that come up in the Olympiad that would be maybe second year of college. Um, and these kids are 17. So it's just, it is phenomenal. In the in the, in the the Olympics, most of us think about the sports Olympics, they tend to be uh, areas of strength or pockets of strength in different parts of the world. So one thinks of East Africa producing great marathon runners or Eastern Europe producing great gymnasts. Uh, how, how is it with chemistry? Are there, are there particular nations or parts of the world that, that tend to excel in the, these, these chemistry Olympics? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I'd have to check through the the history in terms of the the winners, but it from my best recollection, I would say that it's actually quite varied every year. The medals um do get um scattered around quite a bit. Uh, you do so. There's four on every team, so there'll be four students representing Ireland. There's four students representing each country. And each student, you know, has an equal opportunity of winning a medal. So some teams like uh, may come home with a gold medal or a silver medal or a bronze medal. A couple of years ago, our the Irish team came home with three bronze medals, which was one of our best results. So, you know, for a small country, we we do punch quite above our weight in terms of bringing home some medals over the years. Um, and, you know, and that does vary. Um, some countries may bring home one medal, three medals. It just depends. And it does uh, it does vary on the individuals as well as the team.
who were the great kind of chemists of the 21st century? I, I could I could name at least a famous um, astronomer or physicist, or I, I'd, I'd struggle to think of a great chemist since Paul Linus, and that's probably more for the Peace Prize than the, the Chemistry Prize. Who who, um, who are the giants of chemistry in, in modern life? I think, you know, um, Francis Arnold, who won the Nobel Prize in chemistry a few years ago, has been a really good communicator about her research, um, as well as being a phenomenal chemist as well. Um, and there are a few like that who have really come you know, to the fore. Um, Anita McGuire Blow in UCC, my my alma mater, she was the vice president of vice president of research at UCC and, you know, a very well respected chemist in her field. You know, incredible number of publications. She I think she sits on the Irish Research Council as well. So there is some. But like you said, they may not be as as recognized um, as some of the other bigger names um, in, in other science disciplines. And I think there's there is an issue of chemists in particular of communication. And I think I saw some research a number of years ago that of all the sciences, chemists are the least likely to do public communication. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know mm. if there isn't any specific reason for it. Um, but that definitely, you know, um, doesn't help the, the the field and and their names and their um, and their recognition. But I suppose it's it's back to point you made at the very beginning really that chemistry is quite like maths isn't it it's it's highly abstract really and it's it's hard for, for the public to to really get excited by 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 highly abstract uh, subjects just as a final question john and it's related to the last one in a way which is so people like arnold are the are the are the giants of of modern chemistry but what what are kind of the questions that they're trying to answer that are kind of what are the what's the great the holy grail of chemists at the moment what do they want to find out next you know there are a number of um there are specific chemistry problems that haven't been solved the same way actually in maths as well at the moment there are some international competitions where you know to, to solve certain maths problems that's been hanging around for many years there is a few chemistry ones as well um and there's probably too numerous to name but again it's back to that kind of incremental thing of you may not see an overnight huge success thing. Um, you may only see an incremental change in it. But things, most recent Nobel Prizes, like the, the lithium-ion batteries and things, um, probably point the way forward in terms of uh, where chemistry is going. Energy and solving energy problems is a huge worldwide yeah. problem. And actually, you know, we can generate renewable energy, for instance. You can put wind turbines off the coast of Kerry, um, you know, actually, the ESB are planning that they, they announced that recently about converting Money Point Power Station into a hub for renewable energy. But the problem is, you know, the wind doesn't blow every day of the year. So how do you store that energy when the wind is not blowing? And that requires batteries or some other technology, uh, which is what they're looking at in terms of converting um, into hydrogen and then storing the hydrogen gas and then using the hydrogen gas later. It's all about this trying to store the energy for down periods. And chemistry will be hugely involved in that. And that's just, you know, one area. Obviously, you know, medicine and vaccines and all of that is, is another enormous area. But I, if I was picking something, I would probably pick energy. And as the population of the world increases more and more and energy demands get more and more, you know, data centers, for instance, are huge energy um, intensive things. And chem chemistry probably will be very much involved in that. And I know I said that's the last question. But I'm going to squeeze in one more, which is, for anyone listening to this who, who who might be inspired to study chemistry, 
what, what qualities do you think they need? Is 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 there a, a kind of a, a set of basic requirements to be a, a good and happy chemist? Um, I wouldn't. I, so when we get students asking us about, you know, when we do our workshops with schools and they get we get a lot of questions about different courses and so on. And the big one we always get is what is the difference between pharmacy and chemistry? And mm. people ask us this all the time. And the way I explain this is there are two types of courses um, ish. This is obviously not a a fast rule or anything. The first type is, you know, the outcome. So you do pharmacy, you become a pharmacist. If you do medicine, you become a doctor. These are courses where you know what the outcome is. They're usually professionally accredited. So like teaching, for instance, become a teacher. And then there are courses that you don't know the outcome. So you don't know what your career path is going to look like. They're much more open. A lot of arts courses are like this, for instance, and so is science. And actually, art and science are not that dissimilar in that regard because we tend to have quite a varied options. And chemical sciences in Trinity and as well as other places too, um, offer lots and lots of options. So if you are somebody who likes to keep your options open and you like to, I suppose, explore different aspects of the science chemistry is one of those courses essentially for you i wouldn't say there's any specific you know attributes that you'd have to have to do with chemistry and um, because it's so varied because it touches on so many different topics you can always change you know i've gone from anti-cancer research to chemical engineering to chemistry education and i i've never had a problem moving between those different topics um, and i've always been able to change and i know if i if i wanted to change again i probably could and I tell a lot of students this, um, and that usually kind of helps alleviate that decision-making process. Dr. John Dunhu, thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome.